Uh, this is Don Saladino, okay. uh, and uh, I'm Zach Ziegler. Don is a, a trainer in the fitness uh, industry, been, and a gym owner has uh, been in the industry for a long time. We do this podcast together. It's called MNF Reps, and uh, yeah. look, we're really happy to, to have you here, especially uh, in this insane. Yeah, uh, my pleasure. Uh, you could really help. Clear, well, you've already helped uh, a lot of people just by uh, the, the website you created, uh, COVIDnearyou.org. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that did that really come together in six days? Uh, yeah, six days through a, a group of volunteers across, you know, Google, and Facebook, Airbnb, many others. So yeah. How does that happen? So how does that come together? Because a, a lot of people are pretty, you know, uh, territorial about the things they're working on. Clearly, this is a, ba- a boundary breaker. But how does that come together where it's like, hey, we got to get this together now? Like who had the, the technology or who had? Yeah, yeah. The- so we've been running a site called uh, flunearyou.org uh, for a lot of years, so for nine years. It's actually off after the movie Contagion. Yeah. Uh, we set up this website to get people to report in, give us symptoms, to really understand what's happening in the community. Then we found out some colleagues at Google were building, trying to do something similar around COVID. And so once we connected, we were like, listen, why don't you put resources into what you're doing? Um, with, uh, you know, with us and, and have it be sustainable and scientifically validated and, and help build this thing for the long term. Okay. So, so what was, what was your, um, input into the, into, into the, into the website? Like, what is it that they kept leaning on you for? I'm sure they weren't asking you to like code things. Uh, no, no. Well, we have a software development team here at the hospital too. So they're working with our software developers, but we have the content expertise too. We know the questions to ask. We know sort of what is sort of scientifically validated in terms of symptoms. Um, So we, we basically had all the underlying information and we worked with those teams to really build it out into sort of a scalable uh, form essentially. Now, I, I, when I was on the site before, it seemed to me that, um, you know, I, I put I was feeling good, which is a good thing. And I'm happy. Yeah. And I know Don's been feeling good, too. We've been, you know, uh, abiding by the guidelines. But uh, it felt like, you know, is that going to help people um, understand in their area if there's going to be outbreaks or if it could become a hotspot? Is that what, we, what it was like built for? Right. So the idea is that we're trying to get information we need a denominator so if people put their healthy then at least it gives us a sense of the numbers of people reporting from a particular area so we can derive what proportion of people are feeling ill and then at the end at the same time once people are coming to the site they can see what's happening in their zip codes zip codes around them in terms of people reporting covid related symptoms as well as people that are testing positive do you think that uh you know i just saw that i think worldwide it passed 700 something thousand cases do you think there's more than that that are just not being diagnosed? And if oh, so, how many more? I'm sure there is, but I just... Yeah, I mean, it's hard to know exactly, but you know, given that there's such mild illness, uh, most people are not getting tested for sure. Um, and so you know, it could be 10x more cases, 100x, we don't really know, but definitely um, maybe he has COVID. I was going to say... Uh, uh, well, I, gotta, well, I have an exact question for you on that, if you don't mind. So, uh, first off, thank you for coming on. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, so probably about... a. You know, I've been on lockdown here for, you know, over two weeks so far. You know, we've been ordering our food in. We, we go out to the grocery store as minimal as possible. We don't leave the house. The kids are in homeschooling right, right now. About a week or so ago, my family and I, the reason why I'm asking this, it's not for selfish reasons, but there's a lot of people I feel like that are in this boat. I remember I, I developed flu-like symptoms. Yeah. I was waking up three, four nights in a row. I woke up in a pool of sweat. Um, I continue to work out every day and just sweat it out, taking saunas. Unfortunately, I have access so those things at my house and eating really good quality food. Yeah. And I feel like I burned everything off, whatever yeah. that I might have had. But yeah, I have a, a little bit of a lingering cough. Yeah. 
Are, are, are there different levels of this thing? I just spoke to a friend of mine who's the head of orthopedics at Huntington Hospital. He said there's 150 people who went in to, to, to get tested. 50 were diagnosed with, and unfortunately, 15 just died, including a 45-year-old this morning. So is it possible a lot of us could have had this a week or so ago, like myself? For sure. And it just came up, it came up very minor? You know, these infections present themselves differently in different people, right? Like sometimes... Some people get super hit hard with the flu and others not. So there's, a, there's variability. Um, obviously, there are risk factors that make, can make things worse for you, right? So if you have underlying chronic conditions, if you're obese, if you're a smoker, all these things can contribute to a worse sort of progression of the disease. Most people are going to feel pretty mild and get through it, and you're not going to need to go into the hospital and not be hospitalized, be put on a ventilator. That's a small fraction of people. Um, but again, you know, there's still some group of people that are normal, healthy, young adults that are getting, getting hit with severe conditions. So it's definitely, you know, not a rule, a complete rule that, um, you know, if you're, if you're currently healthy, you won't, you know, take severe consequences. From it. Because I got offered, I, I got offered a kit, like one of my buddies who's a doctor, do you want to come in? Do you want to get checked out? And I said, honestly, no. And he's like, why not? I'm like, because I don't feel awful. I feel like whatever I have, I'm starting to shake, and I didn't want to tie the kid up from someone who needed it. So I don't know, is that a good decision or is that a dumb decision? Should I have gone and done it? Well, there's more and more availability of test kits. So I think, you know, ultimately more people have access. Uh, they've hit the market now. So I think you're okay to try to get it done. You might as well figure that out because it changes your behavior. If you know that you're positive, uh, that's going to encourage you to stay inside and limit your interactions more than if you didn't know. So that you know the knowledge is power ultimately um but if you have symptoms that are aligned with covid you might you should be isolating yourself no matter what what about um you know exercise clearly like the, you know that's something that we're continuously pushing for people that want to stay yeah. active but what about like running outside and things like that i know like social distancing is saying stay six uh, feet away yeah. from people yeah. like is you know and, and is running by somebody or running you know yeah. on the street is that something that can you know bring this, you know, this disease to you or, you know, I think it's a good question. You know, I think you, every, every decision you make out there, you're making a calculation of risk. Um, what we're trying to do as sort of a society is limit interactions because the more that we do sort of practice social distancing, the slower the spread of the virus and ultimately the less impact we're going to have on our health system. Because what we're trying to solve for is keeping the hospitalizations and people in the ICU at, at, at a number that the hospitals can withstand. So the more that you can do to limit your interactions, the better. On the other hand, everybody has the things that they need to do in order to stay healthy and stay sane. And so, you know, running outside is a solo activity. And so it's generally, you know, that's, you know, taking walks or running, trying to encourage people. Otherwise it's not sustainable in the long run to ask people to try to do this for a month, two months without having some level of outdoor fitness. So, you know, I'm running outside, okay. um, trying to stay six feet away from people as I pass them by ultimately. Um, but I think it's, you know, you got it. You're, you're always making these sort of risk decisions, but if as, as a rule of thumb, you're trying to practice really good social distancing, then I think, you know, affording yourself an outdoor run is, is still probably a worthwhile activity. I have a question about, so Don, if Don did get a test or, you know, he did take that test and he was positive, it doesn't mean he should run right out to the hospital, right? Like he, if he's still feeling like under the weather, but okay. And his, his fever isn't like off the charts. Should he just treat it like he would any other illness? Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think closely monitoring yourself, monitoring your, your temperature and symptoms. And if things feel really bad, obviously you should talk to a healthcare provider and they might encourage you to come in. 
But as I said, most people, you know, 80% of people are going to feel completely okay after a few days. So there's really not much you're going to do other than sort of rest and fluids and the usual things that you would do to treat a cold. So there's not much that your provider can do um, unless it gets very severe and then you, you really want to get measured and, and, and monitored in the hospital. I'm sorry if it feels like we're firing questions out of you. No, but it's good. Fantastic that we that we have you here. Yeah. You know, when you when you hear about um, you know, the other day a 30 year old at at um, I, I think it was uh, North Shore Manhasset passes away, mm-hmm. and a 45 year old at Huntington Hospital passes away this morning. I mean, this isn't you're above 60. You know, why is it that you know in the beginning we were told that younger people aren't going to be as affected by it. But now you're starting to hear circumstances of younger people. Yeah. Their, their, their life. Is that because, you know, God rest their, their souls, but you know, do they have weaker immune systems? Is there something that's compromised about their system that, you know, unfortunately, you know, they lost their, their life because of this, or was it just, I mean, why? why, why yeah, no, it's a great question. I mean, listen, when you, when you think about like regular flu season, most people that die are elderly, but you have cases of people that have severe and deadly illness uh, across all age groups. So of course, those age groups are going to be, are going to hit the news, especially because there's like young, healthy people. We are seeing increases of hospitalization uh, of young adult population slightly differently than maybe other countries. And so that is definitely something we're investigating. There are, you know, obviously we probably have greater underlying chronic conditions, diabetes and other things in our population than say Italy as an example, but you know, I think still trying to figure that out. There's also some connections potentially to smoking. Now smoking's not as big as much anymore, but vaping, there's there's a huge population of people that are still vaping and that is definitely, you know, it can exacerbate illness too. So it's hard to know at the individual case level. It also could just be, you know, it is very possible that a normal healthy adult can you know, deal, you know, get a, a bad version of this and, and ultimately die. That's rarer, but, um, you know, that is still possible. Shouldn't adults be thinking about not drinking in times like, like this? I mean, you have to figure, I'm not a, I'm not a big drinker. I know Zach's not either, but, um, you know, people well, are, out for sometimes. Some, <laughs> but, you know, I mean, we are, we are home for the next couple months. Yeah. Or, supposedly. And I think it's very natural for people to want to be yeah. and open a bottle, but shouldn't, We'd be telling them not to do that. I never really hear much discussion about yeah, alcohol. I mean, listen, I, I, I'd be very interesting to understand sort of the amount of drinking that's happening because I do see a lot of discussion of coping through drinking. And, you know, listen, we all have to do what we got to do. And I think some number amount of drinking is fine. But yes, an excess is probably not helpful to your overall sort of overall health and susceptibility. Um, but again, as I said, you know, we're all trying to make the right decisions to, to get through this. Um, but you know, practicing good nutrition is probably a big part of, of, of making it through in a way that's healthy, especially as people are limiting their workouts. Like I'm a big boot camp, you know, uh, user various boot camp is like, and I, I can't go there. So you've got to make other decisions to keep yourself healthy. So, um, you know, that's, that's, it's important, but yeah, I mean, listen, it's all trade-offs at the end of the day. What is, uh, what are some things that people can do aside from social distancing? Is there something we can do to help with the shortages of, 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 I don't know what it is. I mean, I know yeah. there's a lot of medical uh, shortages and things like that, but is there anything that we could do? Uh, I don't know. Where can we donate? What can we do? Like, yeah. what, what is it that we can do? Because it's, right. it's, I feel like I'm not doing enough. Well, first of all, I mean, hopefully uh, everyone here is submitting to COVID near you to, to give us an indication of what's happening, covidnearyou.org, mm-hmm. uh, the site that we launched. But I mean, 
I think it's very, it's hyper local. I mean, there's so many needs at the community level in terms of food banks and, and various needs, right? Um, there's huge amount of opportunities to donate to like local sort of restaurant industry bars that are hurting so hard. So I think, you know, I mean, there's plenty of activity at the local level to support. Um, there is shortages of personal protective equipment. Um, I don't think there's much at the individual level you can do about that. There's there's attempts that are happening to try to unlock uh, resources you know, at the federal level around uh, masks and ventilators and other things. But I mean, it, it seems quaint to say, but the most you can do is just follow the guidelines. And, and I, you know, as much as that can be painful for people, like continuing to practice social distancing, limited interactions, you know, like staying home is like, is still doing a public good. And like, that's not the hard part for me. I understand that. Yeah, of course, you know, people get stir crazy. The hard part is seeing all these people sick and people dying and then feeling like, God, I wish I could do something. I wish I could do something more. And it's like, I just, you know, if the most I can do is stay away, if that's the best, that's great. But it really does. It, it, it hurts. To yeah. see numbers escalate. It's kind of helpless. You know, you feel kind of helpless because you're like, you're locked in. You yes. want to do more but you can't really because you're trying to isolate yourself. Um, yeah, I mean, listen, I think there's plenty you can do to, like, at, and, you know, to check in on family members and like, keep sort of socially engaged through technology, to, especially to people that are especially alone. There's plenty of people that are going through this with you know, very small networks and, and you know, with nobody. So doing your part to like attempt to, to, to stay in touch with people that could use it. I mean, that's, I know that's not super concrete directly supporting the, the, the events, but it, it actually ultimately helps society. So, yeah. And I saw okay. two weeks ago, sorry, oh. Doc, I just jump in real quick. I saw two, uh, about two weeks ago ish, you were on, on ABC being interviewed yeah. and you said for a vaccine, it's looking at about a year to 18 months. Yeah. That's still the timeline. And why is it that I feel like we don't get this like uniform, uh, timeline for yeah. when a vaccine w- w- will take place. And is that, I don't know why that is. Maybe it's, oh, yeah. oh, no, go there's ahead, di- please. There's different um, timelines that have been put out there. You know, I, I saw recently that maybe could be, you know, six, you know, six to seven months. I think it all depends on the amount of data that's collected, right? Like, so it's important to understand efficacy of the vaccine, but it's just as important to understand the safety profile and you need to collect enough safety data um, to, before you start going at, you know, at scale. And I think, that data needs to be analyzed, it needs to be presented, needs to be vetted. And I think people want to be conservative because the last thing you want to do is put a vaccine out there that has is, you know, potential adverse events. We already know how much pushback there is around vaccines and so much misinformation about vaccines, right? Links to autism and other things right. that have been totally debunked. But these kinds of things, you know, really generate a lot of disdain for vaccines the last thing you want to do is put something that is untested out there and so i think that's where you're going to see it, it take time but i think it's for the public good at the end of the day don did you have some yeah I, and, and this may not be in your wheelhouse but I'm, I'm i've been really trying to assess you know what order of importance do do, do these events start happening in the sense yeah. of you know when we're getting allowed back to work or like for instance my 
my um, my wife got an email the other day from our from our school system. I have a twelve year old and an eleven year old, and they and they stated that right around the eighteenth they're going to acknowledge the spring break holiday, and then right around the eighteenth the, the, uh, they think the kids are going back to school. And I'm like, well, if it's the eighteenth to twentieth, and they're saying the kids are going back to school, are they prioritizing that first? Are they are we putting our children in danger before yeah. we're letting say I own a gym in New York City? <laughs> When are they when are they going to allow me to open my gym? Is that going to be in May? Like I have no idea. My thought process started going. Well, wait, are we are we are we rushing to get our kids back? What order of importance should that happen? I wouldn't read too much into what you're hearing about that. I think that people are going to be very cautious about opening up schools along with any places that have congregation of people. So I don't think there's a prioritization in a way that you know might put kids at risk. I think people are remaining hopeful about timing. I think if we're looking at peaking in the next couple of weeks, I don't think there's any chance that you're going to see schools open that soon, truthfully, because uh, you're still going to need time on the other side of the peak to let things come down. So you're still looking at, you know, May, uh, you know, and I think, yes, people are going to start easing things in. They're going to decide how to like prioritize, but I, I don't think they're prioritizing putting the kids at risk and, you know, and then holding back sort of gyms and other places. In fact, you know, they closed here, they closed the schools, well ahead of things like gym. So um, I think they're going to be ultra conservative when it comes to school openings. Do you think we're going to get pushed back even further? I know like yesterday it was now extended to April 30th and look, I'm, I'm on, you know, I get it. Like, and I, I hate seeing all these businesses um, yeah. close, but it's like, it's also like if you open things too soon, uh, it'll just come right back and we'll be back in the same situation. More people get sick, more people die. So do you think that that'll get extended again? Yeah. I think that um, obviously there's this debate between the economic and public health impact and they're sometimes not aligned. Um, but I think, you know, yeah, like we're talking peaking a couple weeks, we're still a couple weeks off, you know, so that, you know, the most sort of optimistic view is like a month out, I think was probably six, another six weeks to eight. Um, you know, there's different models that say different things in terms of peaking and, and different parts of the country are going to open up at different times. I don't think it's a one size fit. You can't sort of proclaim something at the national level. Right. Like obviously New York is gone, going through something very different than say other cities. Uh, San Francisco maybe is on the downswing. Who knows? New York might peak sooner, but then you've got, you know, places like, you know, it, uh, New Orleans or Detroit, Chicago that are starting to emerge more. So you know, we'll see emergence in Texas and Florida, Alabama. Like, so I just think it's going to have to be at a community by community level about when things sort of start to taper off and it's time to sort of unlock things again. So now, are you guaranteed to, to contract this if you come in contact with someone or is it just the same as like, say, the flu? Or I've been around plenty. I mean, you know, it's not 100%. There's some probability that you'll, you know, you'll get an infection every you know, they say like for every single infection, you infect about on average about two people. That's an average. There could be zero, it could be many. Um, so it's not a guarantee, but I mean, you know, this thing is pretty transmissible. So you know, you are likely to infect others if you're if you're infected and and um, infectious. Yeah. Doctor, you're the, uh, epide an epidemiologist at Boston Children's Hospital. Yeah. So I, I know that you have, um, you're on the front lines of this. Um, and also you probably have a lot of, of coworkers and colleagues as well. What are you hearing from them in terms of, uh, how, what, how things are going? Are they being just kind of overrun at this point? Are they, are they uh, clearly they can't freak out because they are, you know, yeah. everybody's lives are in their hands, but I'm sure off the record, they're a, probably a little more, uh, forth you know forthcoming about the yeah. realities of the situation so what are you hearing 
Right. Yeah, no, it's a good question. Um, so, you know, in a children's hospital, we're le- we, the capacity is actually pretty good in gener- generally because of pediatrics. They're not hit as hard. Um, so definitely it's the adult hospitals that are, that are gearing up. Um, starting to see increases in cases in the ICU. Um, and, you know, you know, I think the concern really is around capacity. When we hit more cases that need ventilators than exist, then um, that's, that's, I think, the big, big issue is just managing capacity and, and watching for that. Um, and obviously, there's a lot of concern about the availability of masks and personal protective equipment because people are using going through it a lot because they're, you know, as they interact with patients, they have to dispose of things. And so I think that's the big concern right now is just having enough of it to, to get through these next couple months. Is it, um, so we're getting, you know, still getting, my, my, wife, my wife's birthday was yesterday. So she got some packages and, you know, we didn't know if the person, how this, how many people handle this thing, uh, how many, you know, if they were wearing gloves or not. So yeah, protocol. Look, look, yeah. I sprayed the hell out of it with, yeah. some, uh, with some, you know, germ killer stuff. Yeah. Is that going too far? Is that something you'd recommend? Yeah, I mean, listen, there is probably some minimal amount of risk. I mean, these packages have been in transit for a while. You know, these things don't last for days necessarily, but, you know, we, we're still trying to collect information about, you know, their survival, but even if it does survive on a surface, you still haven't have enough quantity of virus that then can infect you. So there's things that have to go right for it to happen. I'm not going to say that there's no risk, but we have to. We have. I mean, we have to live in a in a, in a, in a framework that's sustainable. Um, so as I said at the beginning, I mean, we're all making sort of risk uh, decisions throughout the day about what we're willing to withstand. If you're going to touch a bag that was dropped off by a food delivery person and how are you going to handle it? And, but, you know, at some point you can drive yourself completely crazy and, you know, you have to be concerned about the mental health and anxiety of, of people out there. And so, you know, you're trying to ride this very careful balance by making people recognize the severity and make them, you know, stay inside. But like, we can't sort of push things to the extent that then all of a sudden they're not sustainable. Yeah. And I feel like, and I don't know about you, Don, but I feel like I've been kind of veering to that, um, direction of going overboard and I, I'm, I'm trying not to but it's also like I get this crazy anxiety about like whether I see you know I was walking through the grocery store and I see people and I'm just like eh, I don't think I need groceries I'm out of here like, I, just, I don't right. know yeah how about you Don are you going through that right now yeah you know what I, I feel bad saying no I, I I mean I'm in my house um every few days I gotta run to the grocery store to get you know things like vegetables and fruits and things that just are gonna end up spoiling and you know when I when I remember I was walking to the grocery store the other day and I'm literally in a parking lot no one's there yeah. this guy's gotta be 40 feet from me and I cough and he yelled at me what but yeah across the, the, the parking lot and I looked at him and my wife and I looked at each other I didn't even respond to him I just kind of shook my head and then I'm walking I mean literally in the same trip I'm walking into the wild by nature and there's a woman no exaggeration, 20 feet in front of me. And she stops. I didn't realize she was stopping. And as I'm walking, she turns around, she goes, six feet. And she yells at me. And I'm like, Jesus, what the hell is going on here? So, you know, I, I mean, I'm, I'm, I think I'm making good decisions. I keep hand sanitizer in the car. We bring our bags in. When we load it up, we go in the car. My wife and I clean our hands with hand sanitizers. We wash our hands when we get into the house. And then that's it. But, like, I'm not like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm aware of people yeah. around me when I'm in that surrounding and I'm, and I'm, but like, for God's sakes, like I'm not going to sit here and start screaming at someone 30 feet away from me because they're going to cough. I also think there's this, there's yeah. this point where everyone's putting themselves into this 
like paranoia. And then you're hearing about people shopping for rifles and guns. And you're, I'm like, holy shit, what's, what's going on here? Like, is it like, are we going to, are we dropping our it's, it's, yeah, people are starting to miss the point of what we're trying to do, right? It's like trying to slow the spread. At some point, a good chunk of this population will have been infected, right? Regardless. And so just trying to slow that wave. So to buy us time to keep healthcare systems under, you know, from being overwhelmed, this, you know, the social distancing shaming is, uh, is a tough one because I think people are taking it next level. And again, sort of missing the, the sort of the, the point. Um, if you're that high risk um, of infection, then you probably shouldn't be outside at all. Like, 100%. If you can. If, you can. Um, if, if you're, you know, and that which is, you know, everybody gets to make the choice. But, right, if you're out there shopping in a grocery store, um, you know, yeah, I mean, you got to understand that people are going to be nearby, and um, right. I'm just trying to- in general, I, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm a healthy person, but let's just say that I probably say once a day, twice a day, whether I'm feeling great or not feeling great, I always cough because of something like yeah, that. Of course, or maybe I swallow water down the wrong pipe. So just because I'm like, you know, we were joking when I when I came on the show, and I went, <laughs> yeah, I kind of went like that. You're like, He's, you know, he's got it. And I was, no, I was making a joke there, but, yeah, no, 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 but, but, but like a hundred percent, like it doesn't necessarily, everyone's immediately saying to themselves, Oh, he beats, he's yeah. sick. He has to keep him away from me. And I'm like, I think everyone's got to be cautious, but they also got to relax a little bit. They've got, we've got to relax as the anxiety levels are just through the roof. We've got to be concerned about, you know, as much as we're concerned about physical health through the infection, we've got to be as much as concerned about mental health and, Right. So that's, that's definitely a problem here. And yes, absolutely. Well, well that's my next question, Zach. And I'm, I'm curious to get your opinion on this as well. Is this going to set us up for good habits? Were we as a society, are we shaking hands too much? Are we hugging too much? I'm, I'm Italian. It's just the way that I am. Like I'll see someone and I, I just give them a hug. And, I, and it's, it's kind of ironic because this is probably the longest I've ever gone in my life without shaking someone's hand or giving them a hug. Whether, you know, obviously I, I might do But are we going to get back into society? And this yeah, is it's, hard, it's the thing. It's hard to know how we go back as a society. I mean, there's, there are definitely these sort of social norms that we've sort of uh, stopped. And now what happens? I, I don't know. I think ultimately we go back to those things and we should look at the silver lining of like how we're able to live and work, right? Like people are sort of going back to, you know, spending time with their like loved ones in the home, you know, having incredible quality time, reducing their carbon footprint by traveling less. I mean, there's some real like positives that are emerging from this that, you know, I, hopefully those are the things that last. Beyond. I've, been, I, I've been hoping we were going to ditch the handshake for so long. I know that that's a really easy way to spread germs. And I, that was coming. I don't, I just, I can't stand it. I, I cringe every time somebody sticks out their hand. It's like, oh boy. Yeah, there you go. Maybe the handshake is over. I hope so. I mean, but I, overall, I, I don't know, Don, like how do you, you know, just like the doctor said, it's hard to think about what's next when we're still like in the thick yeah. of this and it seems to be getting worse daily. Like I, I know somebody and she def her dad was uh, took a test and he was positive. She definitely has it. And she's, she's gone in this roller coaster. She hasn't gone to the hospital. She stayed at home, but she keeps like, every time she thinks she's getting better, it's like another wave comes and hits her. And it just, it, her lungs feel like they're on fire. Just everything is miserable. She said, and man, it's like anything I can do to help myself, uh, my wife, my kids yep. or anybody else feel like that. I feel like it's worth it. And I know yep. it's hurting people economically, but I don't know. I don't know, man. Like I, I can't, 
I would feel guilty if I were just irresponsible and going around and like, yeah. you know, doing just congregating at this point. Yeah, absolutely. You got, you got, you got, we got, I'll make that decision together. And yeah, that's the right move. Cool. I've got, uh, I've got another question. If you don't mind me jumping in it's not me staring off, but these are just things I'm thinking about. Um, you know, as a society, I feel like that most of us walk around with a compromised immune system to begin with. You know, I mean, I'm living in New York City and it's happy hours really common and where, you know, people are not sleeping enough and they're, you know, the alcohol and the, and the poor nutrition, you know, this is a light bulb that should go off in people's heads. I mean, in my opinion, you know, we are vulnerable. We, uh, as, a, as a society, as human beings, and you know this better than anyone, Doc, but, uh, you know, people like, you know, you see the most powerful athletes on the planet and a couple of weeks later, you might, I was watching the thing on Lyle Alzado and an old video of this guy was one of the most feared football players ever. And then a few weeks later, he's dying of cancer and right. it's no one's ever won that battle, man. And is this a wake up call to our society? Do we need to start thinking differently about our health, about our yeah. nutrition? Yeah. I mean, I, you- I agree. I agree. I think this is a wake up call, right? I think there's a wake up call for all the decisions that we make. I think, you know, will this mean there's a big turning point in sort of thinking about, you know, processed sugar and a turning point in the way that we think about, you know, chronic diseases in populations. Like, is it, do we become, do we change fundamentally as a society recognizing sort of these important public health risks that we have around us, you know, whether it's infectious or whether it's, you know, chronic conditions through, you know, what we eat. I mean, I think you can also make the case that, you know, pollution might play a role, right? New York City, you know, not necessarily the best air, like we know that there's a connection between sort of respiratory distress and, and, and negative impact of the virus. Like, so if there's an environmental side, there's a nutrition side. So all of these things sort of all sort of uh, interact together to create risk for people. So hopefully it is, is a fundamental switch that we see. So Doc, awesome. is, is there any, anything that we haven't covered that you think is <laughs> so You guys are good. So that's crazy important about this. I mean, no, you guys, I'm impressed. You guys are good. You good, good tag team here. Oh, wow. Well, thank you. We've, we've had some practice. Uh, thankfully yeah. nobody saw the earlier ones that, uh, <laughs> from, from years ago, but, uh, aside from going to, 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 to COVID near you.org and making sure that, that they're logging, um, you know, anything. Data. So we, we, we just keep the social distancing, keep washing your hands. You yeah. Don't need to bathe any packages in uh, hand sanitizer. Yeah, just just, just do, do the bare minimum of staying home, practicing social distancing, go outside and take a walk and run, you know, but, you know, otherwise really just try to refrain and, you know, we'll get through this. And where, where can we uh, find you on social media, doctor? At John Brownstein. At John Brownstein. All right. That is at Don Saladino. <laughs> at, at Z-Raz. Yes, uh, Dr. John Brownstein, thank you so much for your time. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks, guys. Thank you so much. Thanks, yeah. I really appreciate the time. Thank, thank you. you.